Chapter Thirteen of Amusement Only. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. Amusement Only by Richard Marsh. A Vision of the Night, Chapter One: Asleep. Charlie, do you believe in dreams? It was in the great hall of the Puron Spring at Spa. The band was playing. The motley crowd which gathers in the season at Spa to drink or not to drink, the waters, were talking, smoking, drinking coffee, something stronger, looking at the papers or listening to the music. Among the crowd were Gerald Lovell and his friend Charles Warren. At the particular moment in which Mr. Lovell put his question, Mr. Warren was puffing rings of cigarette smoke into the air ask me he said with distinct irreverence another a queer thing happened to me last night if you have any malicious intention of inflicting on me a dream young man there'll be a row i have an aunt who dreams she's a dreaming sort she's always dreaming and she tells her dreams such dreams ye goths the mere mention of the word dreams the nightmare figure of my aunt rises to my mind's eye so beware but i'm not sure that this was a dream anyhow just listen if i must said mr warren and he sighed i dreamt that a woman kissed me if only i could dream such a thing some men have all the luck the queer thing was that it was so real I dreamt that a woman came into my room. She came to my bedside. She stood looking down upon me as I slept. Suddenly she stooped and kissed me. That same instant I awoke. I felt her kiss still tingling on my lips. I could have sworn that someone had just kissed me. I sat up in bed and called out to know if anyone was there. I got up and lit the gas and searched the room. There was nothing and no one. It was a dream! If it was, it was the most vivid dream I remember to have heard of, certainly the most vivid dream I ever dreamt. I saw the woman so distinctly, and her face, as she stooped over me, with laughter in her eyes. To begin with, it was the most beautiful face I ever saw, and hers were the most beautiful eyes. The whole thing had impressed me so intensely that I took my sketchbook and made a drawing of her then and there. I have my sketchbook in my pocket. Here is the drawing. Mr. Lovell handed his open sketchbook to his friend. It was open at the page, on which was a drawing of a woman's face. When Mr. Warren's eyes fell on this drawing, he sat up in his chair with a show of sudden interest. "'Gerald! I say! You'll excuse me saying so, but I didn't think you were capable of anything so good as this. Do you know that this is the best drawing of yours I have ever seen, young man?' "'I believe it is.' It looks to me, I don't want to flatter you, goodness knows you conceit enough already, but it looks to me as though it were a genuine bit of inspiration. Joking apart, it seems to me almost as if it were an inspiration. I wish an inspiration of the same kind would come to me. I'd be considerably grateful, even for a nightmare. Do you know what I should do with this? I should use it for a picture. I thought of doing something of the kind myself just a study of a woman's face and you might call it the title would be apposite a vision of the night 
a good idea. I will. And Mr. Lovell did. When he returned to his Chelsea studio, he chose a moderate-sized canvas, and he began to paint on it a woman's face. Just a woman's face, and nothing more. She was looking a little downwards, as a woman might look who was about to stoop to kiss someone lying asleep on bed, say a sleeping child, and she glanced from the canvas with laughing eyes. Mr. Warren came in to look at it several times while it was progressing. When it was finished, he regarded it for some moments in silent contemplation. "'I call that,' he declared, sentiously, with what he supposed, perhaps erroneously, to be a Yankee twang, a genuine work of art. I do. The thing. Young man, if you forward that with your compliments, or without them, to the President, fellows and associates of the Royal Academy, I'll bet you five to one it's hung.' His prediction was verified. It was hung. It was the first of Mr. Lovell's pictures which ever had been hung, which made the fact none the less gratifying to Mr. Lovell. It was hung very well, too, considering, and it attracted quite a considerable amount of attention in its way. It was sold on the opening day. That fact was not displeasing to Mr. Lovell. One morning, about the middle of June, a card was brought in to Mr. Lovell, while he was working in his studio. On it was inscribed a name, Le Comte de Mieret. The card was immediately followed by its owner, a tall, slightly built gentleman, unmistakably a foreigner. He saluted Mr. Lovell with a bow which was undoubtedly Parisian. Mr. Gerald Lovell? The accent was French, but, for a Frenchman, the English was fair. I am Gerald Lovell. Ah, that is good. You are a gentleman, Mr. Lovell, whom I particularly wish to see. The stranger had been carrying his stick in one hand and his hat in the other. These he now deposited upon one chair. Himself he placed upon a second, uninvited. He crossed his legs. He folded his black-gloved hands in front of him. I believe, Mr. Lovell, that we are not strangers, you and I. Mr. Lovell glanced at the card, which he still was holding. You are the Vicomte de Mirier? I am. I am afraid. It is unpardonable remissness on my part, but I am afraid that, if I have ever had the pleasure of meeting you before, it is a pleasure which has escaped my memory. It is not that we have ever met before. No, it is not that. It is my name to which you are not a stranger. Mr. Lovell glanced again at the card. Your name... I am afraid, Vicomte, that I do not remember having ever heard your name before. Ah, is that so? The stranger regarded his polished boots. He spoke as if he were addressing himself to them. Is it possible that she can have given another name? No, it is not possible. She is capable of many things. I do not believe she is capable of that. He looked up again at Mr. Lovell. My business with you, Mr. Lovell, is of rather a peculiar kind. You will think, perhaps, that mine is rather a singular errand. I have come to ask you to acquaint me with the resident of my wife. With the... did you say with the residence of your wife? That is what I said. I have come to ask you to acquaint me with the residence of my wife. The artist stared. But, so far as I am aware, I do not know your wife. That is absurd. I do not say, Mr. Lovell, that you are conscious of the absurdity, but still, 
it is absurd i was not aware that you were acquainted with my wife until i learned the fact this morning at your academy at our academy precisely upon the walls of your academy of painting mr lovell mr lovell began to wonder if his visitor was not an amiable french lunatic is that not rather a singular place in which to learn such a fact it is a singular place it is a very singular place indeed but that has nothing to do with the matter it is as i say you have a picture mr lovell at the academy i have it is a portrait pardon me it is not a portrait pardon me mr lovell in my turn it is a portrait as a portrait it is a perfect portrait it is a portrait of my wife of your wife you're dreaming you flatter me mr lovell is it that you suppose i am an imbecile are not the features of a wife familiar to a husband very good i am the husband of my wife your picture mr lovell is a portrait of my wife i cannot but think you have mistaken some other picture for mine mine is simply a study of a woman's face it is called a vision of the night precisely and the vision of the night is my wife it is impossible do i understand you to say mr lovell of a thing which i say is so that it is impossible the vicomte rose his voice had a very significant intonation mr lovell resented it i do not know vicomte that i am called upon to explain to you but in face of your remarkable statement i will volunteer an explanation i saw the face which i have painted in a dream indeed is that so what sort of dream was it in which you saw my wife's face mr lovell the young man flushed the stranger's tone was distinctly offensive it was in a dream which i dreamt last august at spa ah this is curious at what hotel were you stopping last august at spa at the hotel de flandre though i don't know why you ask so we approach a point at last last august my wife and i we were at spa we stayed my wife and i at the hotel de flandre it was at the hotel de flandre my wife left me i have never seen her since perhaps mr gerald lovell you will be so good as to inform me what sort of dream it was in which you saw my wife's face at the hotel de flandre last august at spa mr lovell hesitated he perceived that caution was advisable he felt that if he entered into minute particulars of his dream there might be a misunderstanding with the vicomte so he temporized or he endeavoured to i have already told you that i saw the face in my picture in a dream it is the simple fact that i have no other explanation to offer is that so that is so very good so far mr gerald lovell i thought it possible that you might have some explanation of this kind to offer i was at the academy with a friend when i perceived my wife's portrait on the walls and that is what painted by a mr gerald lovell i said to my friend i will go to this mr lovell and i will ask him among other things who authorized him to exhibit my wife's portrait in the absence of her husband in a place of public resort as if it were an advertisement my friend proposed to accompany me but i said no i will go first of all alone i will see what sort of explanation mr gerald lovell has to offer if it is not a satisfactory explanation then we will go together you and i 
I go to seek my friend, Mr. Lovell. He is not very far away. Shortly we will return. Then I will request, of your courtesy, an explanation of that very curious dream in which you saw my wife's face at the Hotel de Flandre. Mr. Lovell, I wish you, until then, good day. The Vicomte withdrew, with the same extremely courteous salutation with which she had entered. The artist, left alone, looked at his visitor's card, which he still retained in his hand, with a very puzzled expression of countenance. If the Vicomte de Meret returns, it strikes me there'll be a little interesting conversation. He laid down the card. He resumed the work which had been interrupted, but the work hung fire, paint to paint, not only with his hand, but with his brain. Mr. Lovell's brain was, just then, preoccupied. It was a dream, and yet, as I told Warren at a time, it certainly was the most vivid dream I ever dreamt. Deserting his canvas, he began to move about the room. Supposing it wasn't a dream, and the woman was a creature of flesh and blood, then she must have come into my room and kissed me while I slept. I'll swear that someone kissed me. By Jove! The Vicomte won't like to be told a tale like that. As he says, a man ought to know his own wife's face when he sees it, even in a portrait. And if the picture is a portrait of his wife, then it was his wife who came into my room, and kissed me. But whatever made her do a thing like that? There's no knowing what things some woman will do. I rather fancy that I ought to have made a few inquiries before I took it for granted that it was nothing but a dream. They would have been able to tell me at the hotel if the original of my dream had been staying there. As it is, unless I mind my P's and Q's, I rather fancy there'll be a row. Pardon? May I enter? Mr. Lovell was standing with his back to the door. The inquiry, therefore, was addressed to him from behind. The voice in which was uttered was feminine, and the accent foreign. The artist turned and stared. For there, peeping through the partly open door, was the woman of his dream. There could not be the slightest doubt about it. Although the head was covered with the latest thing in Parisian hats, there was no mistaking, when one once had seen it, as he had seen it, that lovely face, those laughing eyes. He stared and gaped. The lady seemed to take his silence to imply consent. She advanced into the room. "'You are Mr. Gerald Lovell?' As she came into the room, he perceived that she was not only most divinely fair, but most divinely tall. Her figure, clad in the most recent coquetries of Paris, was the most exquisite thing in figures he had lately seen. So completely had she taken his faculties of astonishment by storm, that he could only stammer a response. "'You are the painter of my portrait?' For the life of him, he knew not what to say. But if you are Mr. Gerald Lovell, it is certain that you are. Besides, I see it in your face. There is a genius in your eyes. Mr. Lovell, how am I to thank you for the honour you have done me? Moving to him, she held out to him her hand. He gave her his. She retained it, or rather part of it, in her small palm. If I am ever destined to attain immortality, it is to your brush it will be owing. Monsieur, permit me to salute the master. Before he had an inkling of her intention, she raised his hand and touched it with her lips. He withdrew it quickly. Madame! She exhibited no signs of discomposure. I was at your academy with a friend not half an hour ago. I beheld miles of mediocrity. Suddenly I saw my face, my own face 
glancing at me from the walls. Ah, quel plaisir! But my face, how many times more lovely, how many times more beautiful! My face depicted by the hand of a great artist, by the brush of a poet, and a genius. Monsieur, you have placed on me ten thousand obligations. She gave him the most sweeping courtesy with which she ever had been favoured, and in her eyes was laughter all the time. He was recovering his presence of mind. He felt that it was time to put a stop to the lady's flow of flowery language. He was about to do so, when a question she put to him again sent half his senses flying. There is one thing which I wish to ask you, monsieur. When and where did I see to you for my portrait? I do not remember to have had the pleasure and the honour of meeting you before. The lady's laughing eyes were fixed intently on his face. And yet, as I look at you, a sort of shadowy recollections come to me of a previous encounter. It is very strange. Monsieur, where was it we encountered, you and I? Madame! Seeing how evidently he was at a loss for words, she put out her hand to him, as if to give him courage. Do not be afraid. Tell me, where was it that you saw me? I saw you in a dream. A dream? Monsieur, to hear you speak, it is like a poem. Monsieur, why did you dream this dream in which you dreamt of me? It was last year, at Spa. At Spa, that horrible place. I did not find it a horrible place. No, was it that dream which you dreamt of me, which robbed it of its horror? He did not speak. He allowed her to infer a compliment, but he did not proffer one. But, monsieur, I was only at Spa one afternoon and a single night. It was that night I dreamed of you. You dreamed? How? Tell me about this dream. I dreamed that you came into my room while I was asleep in bed and kissed me. She continued to look at him intently a moment longer, as if she did not recognize the full meaning of his words. Then, let us do her justice. The blood rushed to her face, her cheeks flamed fiercely red. With her hands she veiled her eyes. She gave a little cry. Ah, mon Dieu! It was you, I remember. Quelle horreur! There was silence. Before she removed her hands from her eyes, she turned away. She stood with her back towards him, trifling with the brush which he had placed upon the table. She spoke scarcely above a whisper. Monsieur, I thought you were asleep. I was asleep. I saw you in a dream. Then did... did I wake you? You must have done. I woke. You must forgive me saying so, with a kiss tingling on my lips. The lady put her hands up to her eyes again. The dream had been so vivid I could not understand it. I got up to see if anyone was in the room. If you had caught me! There was no one. But so acutely had your face impressed itself on my imagination that I took my sketchbook and made a drawing of it then and there. In the morning I showed this drawing to a friend. He advised me to use it for a picture. I did. That picture is a vision of the night. It is the most extraordinary thing, monsieur. You will suppose I am a very peculiar person. It is but a lame explanation I have to offer. Of that I am but too conscious. But such as it is, I entreat that you will suffer me to give it to you. Monsieur, I am married. Mr. Lovell bowed. 
he did not mention that he was aware of that already. To the most capricious husband in the world, to a husband whom I love, but whom I cannot respect. Mr. Lovell thought that that was good, from her. He is a man who is extremely difficile, monsieur. I do not think you have a word which expresses what I would say in English. He is extremely jealous. He is enraged that his wife should use the eyes which are in her head. The very day on which we arrived at Spa, we had a dreadful quarrel. I will not speak of the treatment to which I was subjected. It is enough to say that he locked the door so that I should not leave the room. He wished to make of me a prisoner. Monsieur, directly he was gone, I perceived that there were two doors of to the room. The one which he had locked, and another, which I tried, I found that it was open. Monsieur, when the prisoner decides to escape, he escapes by any road which offers. I was a prisoner. I decided to escape. I made use of the only road which I could find. I entered the door. I found myself in a room in which there was... How shall I say it? in which there was a man asleep. Monsieur, it was you. It must be owned that at this point the lady certainly did look down. I was that night in a wicked mood. I glanced at you. I perceived that you were but a boy. Mr. Lovell flushed. He did not consider himself a boy, but a handsome boy. She peeped at him with malicious laughter in her eyes. I regarded myself as your mother, or your sister, or your guardian angel. Monsieur will perceive how much I am the elder. Again, a glance of laughing malice from those bewitching eyes. I am afraid it is too true that I approached the sleeping lips. There was silence, then, so softly that her listener was only able to catch the words. I pray that Monsieur will forgive me. There is nothing for which Madame needs forgiveness. Monsieur but says so to give me pleasure, but one thing Monsieur must permit me to observe. If every woman were to be rewarded as I have been, for what I did, half the women in France would commit a similar little indiscretion. Mr. Lovell was silent. He did not know exactly what to say. Monsieur will permit me to regard him, from this day forward, as my friend. Mr. Gerald Lovell, permit me to introduce you to the Vicomtesse de Mieret. The lady favoured him with another sweeping curtsy. I have already the pleasure of being acquainted with madame's name. From whom did you learn it? From the people at the hotel? I but learned it a few minutes before madame herself came here. So, from whom? I learned it from the Vicomte de Mieret. The Vicomte de Mieret? My husband! Are you acquainted with him, then? I can scarcely claim to be acquainted with the Vicomte. It seems, madame, that this has been a morning of coincidences. It would appear that just before Madame perceived my little picture at the Academy, the Vicomte de Mieret perceived it too. Truly, but how magnificent! The lady clasped her hands in a little ecstasy. The Vicomte de Mieret did not seem to consider it magnificent. He took a distinctly contrary view. But that is certain. He requested me to furnish him with your address. When I informed him that I was not acquainted with Madame, he desired to know who had authorized me to send your portrait to a public exhibition. When I informed him that I was not acquainted with Madame, he desired to know who had authorized me to send me your portrait to a public exhibition. I observed that I was not aware that it was a portrait of Madame, since the face in the picture was but the study of a face which I had seen in a dream. 
in a dream you did not tell him the little history i entered into no particulars i entreat you monsieur not to tell him the little history there will be a scandal he is so quick to misconceive i will endeavour to observe madame's wishes it is like a little romance it is not monsieur perhaps i should explain myself a little further that night she emphasised the that i left my husband in effect he had become unbearable i have seen and heard nothing of him since but i am beginning to become conscious of a desire to meet him again i know not why i suppose when one loves one's husband truly one wishes to meet him once a year i do not wish our reconciliation to be inaugurated by a quarrel now i entreat you monsieur not to recount to him that little history i should inform madame that i expect the vicomte de Mieret to return return where here when very shortly with a friend in fact unless i am mistaken he comes already the lady listened it is philippe's voice mon dieu he must not find me here but madame ah the screen it is like a farce at the palais royal is it not a fact i will be your model monsieur behind the screen madame before he could interpose to prevent her the lady vanished behind the screen the door of the studio opened and the vicomte de Mieret entered accompanied by his friend end of chapter one of a vision of the night recording by christine g in oslo norway the twenty first of january two thousand and twelve